right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Common Narrative. We have a full house here virtually on StreamYard, streaming on all of your Facebook and YouTube channels. I am Crystal Haynes, and we are on Spark FM. And for folks who have been following our work, you know what we do here on Common Narrative. Every Sunday at noon, we get into the conversations behind the news headlines and examine the media's effect on perception and civic engagement across all lines of diversity. And the Center for Teen Empowerment is presenting their 29th annual Youth Peace Conference, Senseless Smoke. Now, you guys may have been seeing they've got a huge media push on this lots of folks who are involved in this conference 29 years they have been addressing violence in the community and the young people have been leading the way senseless, senseless smoke is a two-day conference kicking off the summer 2021 campaign promoting peace through the power of the people the conference is wednesday on may 26th and thursday on may 27th from 5 30 to 7 30 on both days so make sure that you register for this event we're going to be dropping it in all of our social media links and everything like that so you guys have no excuse not to join the work that is happening so Today, I'm sitting down with the organizers, the folks who are bringing all of this together to talk about their lived experience in the community and what needs to happen to address violence in the city. We have Abregal Forrester, the executive director of Teen Empowerment, uh, Willington uh, Valletto, the a youth organizer with Teen Empowerment, Sharon Robert Bridgman, also part of the TE team, and also Ariella Taylor is in the house. Y'all, thank you so much for joining me this Sunday. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to play the trailer because the senseless smoke is is also uh, you know has video components, multimedia uh, components. But I, I want y'all to talk to me a little bit about this effort. Twenty nine years, you guys have been trying to address this particular issue in in the city. Um, talk to me about the conference and and what you guys have been working towards here. Yeah, I'll start us off here. Thank you for having us, Crystal. This is an exciting opportunity for us. Uh, I want to recognize uh, all of my colleagues here, uh, Robert and Sherry Bridgman and Willington and Ariella. Um, we this year, this has been a very sort of like pivotal year for us coming out of COVID um, and the pandemic and the quarantine and really uh, being at the table uh, with the city of Boston and other CBOs, uh, just talking about the uptick in violence. Um, many people don't know, but the sort of like with the, the data shows that like we are at a uptick uh, earlier than usual um, based on people sort of coming back out into the community during the pandemic. There was a lot of violence uh, going on. But one of the things that we have found as an organization, uh, just being at the table, we're tired of hearing about how many incidents happen, right? The question is like, what are we gonna do from a preventative standpoint to really address the mindset and some of the issues that are going on in our community? And so for 29 years, um, the Center for Teen Empowerment has been at the, at the center, <laughs> no pun intended, of like trying to intervene in violence and, and doing a, a great job. I mean, in the 90s, uh, we were part of uh, what was quote unquote called the Boston Miracle. And one of the only agencies at that time that really strategically looked at how do we pay young people to bring their voice and their strategy and their level of peer, peer influence to the violence issue to mediate. And so since then, annually, we have, have had a peace conference that capstones all of our work in a theatrical sense and in a organizing sense, um, bringing both of our sort of core components together. One is uh, our core programming, which is to focus on youth organizing and uh, helping young people unpack the issues that they're dealing with, and then bring those issues into sort of an events forum that informs their peers and the communities, and then facilitate discussions between adults 
and young people uh, around how to best address those issues. The other component we work on is TE Studios, where we sort of build out original pieces of uh, productions. One is, uh, you'll see in this movie, we have an original soundtrack that is created and developed by young people in teen empowerment. But then we also have taking a sort of skit that we did. It was a, a online sort of um, virtual series, a speaking series that we did, audio series that we did last year. But now Cherry and Robert has turned that into an actual movie. And so it's really about how do we address the mindset. Things are different now really quickly around violence. So when I was coming up, when we were coming up, violence was about territorial issues, you know, gang violence, drugs, you know, and all those things. And now it's really like, we're living in sort of like, sad to say, a culture of violence where there is this idea that conflict resolution is immediately addressed and, and dealt with by hurting someone. And so what we wanna do with Stop Sense of Smoke is really speak to the minds of young people and adults, quite frankly, to say, how do we sort of take control of this and and this is not an issue that we're relying on law enforcement to address, but we want to bring back the power to the people and say that we are the ones who need to promote peace and take ownership for our children, for our babies, for what's going on in our community so we can create a level of peace again in our communities of color. So talk to me more about that. Like, how do you put together a conference where you can engage folks on, on, on a topic that honestly is very, can be very difficult to unpack? Yeah, I mean, I'll turn it over to Sherry Robert, but I think that first and foremost, it's really speaking to the core of the issues that exist, right? I think the problem is many a times we sit in a bubble, especially as organizational nonprofit leaders who are trying to address violence and come up with strategies without the inclusiveness of those who are involved or those who are being impacted. The difference with teen empowerment is that everything we do, even the skit on this movie, and Robin and Sherry will talk about this, has started with young people saying, these are the issues, and if we're going to develop and create a movie, these issues need to be in the skit and the layout of the of the of the, uh, the script in itself. And then Robin and Sherry, and I'll pass it to you all. Take that script and turn it into some content. So Robin and Sherry, you want to speak to this as well? Absolutely. Um, let me just quickly say that you know, through this pandemic, we've um, all been stifled in terms of the type of work we we were doing because you know it, it kept us in this little bubble and not being able to go out and not be able to. We could not have our peace conference last year because of the pandemic. And we decided to not allow that to stop us. We decided to turn our live show, which would, would have been held at the Paramount Theater, which we've done in, in past several years. It would have been held at the Paramount Theater since we couldn't do that. We turned that theater production into an audio series in which we did last year. Now we've taken that audio series and we turned it into a movie. We are new and young movie um, producers, so mm -hmm. hopefully you'll enjoy this movie. But we, we know that our young people are extremely talented, and we knew that we could pull this off because of that. Yeah, so a part of the process um, with teen empowerment and our programming is, like Abigail said, to get the youth's voice and their perspective, because they're the ones who are you know, they know what's happening out there. They know what's going on in the community and their voice is important. So we develop a youth advisory council before the peace conference to get a sense of what are they thinking? What do they think that we need to address? What's happening with the young people? And that yak, we call it the yak. They um, work with us, with the adult staff um, together to come up with, okay, okay, what's the theme? Um, what are the issues that are arising in the community? And how do we really develop a script that's real, that's like on the ground with what's happening today? And that's how we came up with um, Sense of Smoke. 
Yeah, so it, it took a little while for us to really figure out how we were going to transition from an audio series to a movie. And so we sought out some help some, from some professionals who gave us some advice on how we needed to do this. And uh, we went forth, you know, and it's important that nothing should stop the work of civic engagement. Nothing should stop the work of social justice work. Um, no pandemic and, and nothing else should slow us down from the, the uh, task at hand, which ultimately is the saving the lives of our young people in the streets. So that that uh, is why we push forward. We continue to work hard at uh, producing the audio series and now the movie. And hopefully people will watch it. I'm wondering if Will, if you have anything to say about the, the process of the Youth Advisory Council, thinking about what the script should be about, what the storyline should be about. Uh, yeah, um, no doubt. Uh, I believe that uh, that that whole part of the process is actually very important in just grounding just everyone involved um, into what we were actually trying to communicate with this film. And um, and again, that is to get down to the nitty gritty of the issues um, that we face in our communities and, and provide uh, art for justice. And I think um, just getting into the process in a way where it was very hands-on for me as a young person i got to i was involved in um just the whole uh we got to sit down and, and just we listen to the whole audio series again and just really uh um focused in on the issues that we really wanted to highlight uh you know in this film such as you know um education um and how how that plays a part in in um just setting up uh, a, a school to prison pipeline um and and creating certain mindsets uh for for these young people um that creates sort of this sense of the smoke that we continue to deal with um so i believe that um it's been a it's been a really like just intense fun process um seeing how we've all grown into these characters um because these characters are like based on really everyday people uh, that we see um, that deal with these issues, but no one, you know, takes a chance to understand their stories. So, um, yeah, I would say that the, the process has been, for me, a very passionate one, and it hits very close to home. And, um, and yeah, I just want to thank Tina Parliament for an opportunity like this, because, um, you know, as a young person, I, I started working there as a, you know, uh, a young person, and um, just how they developed me, and, and you know, everyone that has been a part of this process has been uh, truly impactful. So, um, so yeah. Well, talk to me about some of those. So you got you guys said you had been compiling these stories via audio. Then then you made them into you know a video piece. Talk to me about what were some of the the re reoccurring themes. Like, was it a reoccurring theme of trauma? Was it generational issues? Things like that. So, talk to me about what came up. Yeah. So. Definitely, of course, the issue of violence continues to come up. Um, the issue came up around trauma, mental health issues and awareness. Um, like Will said, the education system came up. Um, youth homelessness was something that kept coming up. Um, and, you know, all of these things are connected and all of them contribute to the violence that's happening in our community. So these are things that we definitely need to address. And I believe the thread that kind of went through all of that, which kept coming up was, how do we get past this? How do we develop a, 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 an atmosphere of forgiveness? You know, I think that was really important to the young people because 
they feel like without forgiveness, we won't be able to move forward. We won't be able to um, really get past some of this violence and some of this hurt and some of this pain. So forgiveness is a real big piece of what we were trying to uh, show it through this film. Yeah, that's a huge piece in the film, actually. And not just forgiveness, but healing, because people need to heal in order to forgive. So there's there's a process and it's really cool. Willington was talking about the characters in the movie. They really um, exemplify like what's happening with these young people and their families in the community. So you'll see characters in the movie that are trying to figure out how do I heal? because of this trauma? How do I heal because of the violence in this community? And how as a community, you know, do we um, work with each other and, and work through this issue of violence? Because it, it impacts all of us, even people who are so-called bystanders and aren't really, you know, impacted directly, but as a community, it touches us all. Yeah, in, in the film, we also show a little bit about how important the intergenerational piece is we have a character in the movie who who's an older woman who is very wise and is, is constantly you know reaching out to the to these young people and trying to give them direction in a in a in a very interesting way. So you'll see it as you watch the clip. But um, we also wanted to make sure that everyone knew that you know things aren't going to change unless we we take things in our, into our own hands. We have to be the ones to help us and not wait for the government or the police or anyone else. This, this is part of what the young people really felt strongly about. All right, well, we've been talking about it. So let's go ahead and watch uh, the trailer for Senseless Smoke right now. Yes, that's fine, Quan. But what if Touch Street or Elf Street, like, they can't be know you staying at my crib and staying with me. Like, smoke better be coming our way, bro. Like, listen, I ain't worried about Monty, and I'm definitely not worried about Lil, Lil Trey, alright? And I don't got a problem with that as long as he don't get crazy. Walking around in my hood, they claim us is no good, misunderstood. I stand on land of slaves, all my soldiers be brave, lift and maintain. We grew up in this pain, red line hop on that train, stop on my brain. Shooting police and gangs, look, I see guns that go bang, guns that go bang. Like, I'm just trying to do what you did out here, you feel me? Like, you really held your people down. Imagine if me, you, everyone on L Street, everyone on 10th Street, all came together. Use our intelligence. Our loyalty, our street smart, we'll get the life that we deserve. You know, I heard they saw the shooter. Say, senseless, senseless, senseless before they shoot Tony. Single mom, no dad, got problems, too bad, too black, don't care. You poor, welfare, start don't matter when you make it to the finish line. When you grow up, don't leave your people behind. And ain't nobody gonna do it for us, but us. So talk to me a little bit about 
the what we, the images we were seeing, the 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 interactions, the particular scenes. Yeah, you want to talk about your scene, Will? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, in the movie, uh, I'll play the character that goes by the name of Quan. Um, he's a young man. Um, he's, he's a senior trying to graduate high school. He's really like struggling to do that. Um, and um, he he he's conditioned to to have a certain mentality. Um, and uh, sort of what you're seeing throughout the film is sort of his thought process sort of go through an evolution, if you will. And, um, you know, but he's he, he still sort of, uh, you still see him trying to fight, figure his way out of it. You know what I'm saying? Just to say the least, you know, I don't want to get too, too into the film. You know, if you want to really find out, you know, tune in day 26, you know, but um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, what you see is just these characters um, interact with one another in a way that's, um, you know, things may happen, you know, senseless smoke, you know, like, <laughs> and, you know, things are, are bubbling and, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's pretty much like the best way I could describe it without giving too much. So one of the main characters in it is uh, the young man that was dribbling the basketball. Uh, he plays the part of Trey and uh, he happened to lose his sister to gang violence. And so his his whole struggle through the movie is trying to, you know, figure out a way to deal with it, trying to figure out a way to deal with the hurt, the pain, um, you know, and, and, and it kind of carries through the movie, his struggle throughout the movie. Um, and then there's a character, which is the um, older woman, the one the girl that played the older woman, Mrs. Uh, G. Mrs. G, yeah. And she's kind of like the old woman in the block. She knows everybody. She knows what's going on. She's her ears are always uh, to the streets and uh, listening to what's happening, and then trying to drop some wisdom to the young people as they pass by her house every day. So that that character, really, we want it to exemplify what we should be doing as the gen older generation in the neighborhoods. And I know everyone on here is is not the older generation. Um, but we, you know, we want the older gener generation to feel that they, they have a part of this movement. They're a very integral part of any movement that's going to happen towards change. So we wanted people to not feel afraid to speak to young people. And that's what she kind of does in the movie. Yeah. And then there's um, Naya and Jordan, who are young women in the, in the movie. And, you know, as far as violence is concerned, a lot of people think that it's just the males that are involved in violence and they're a big part of it, but the young women um, play a role in the violence that's happening in this community also. You know, there's there's a lot of instigation, there's a lot of like drama and young women doing things for the males that, you know, uh, are not helpful for the community. Um, so these two characters are kind of like in that role um, and then who else do we have there? We have, oh, uh, Uncle Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy. There's, there, I mean, it's, you guys have got to see it. Um, Uncle Jimmy is someone, he's like an OG in the, in the community um, who's been locked up. He's actually Quan's uncle. Um, and he is learning a lot just through the process of being gang involved, community, like in community OG and then going to prison. And what is the impact he can have in the prison and what's the impact can he have outside when he when he comes out? So 
you know, it's, it's dropping a lot of gems for us um, as a community. Yeah. Then the last person that you saw in it was uh, Monty, who is a really good friend of Trey's. And he really tries to help him through all his pain. You know, he's really um, there for him as he lost his sister. So yeah, he, Monty is uh, an important part of uh, Trey's healing and getting through the pain of losing his sister. So that and kind of completes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to I want to speak to this piece about you know the the young male experience, oftentimes young male of color experience, and the young female of color or female experience when we're talking about youth violence and addressing that. And Ariella, I know I, I want to bring you in as well on the conversation about in working in community with teen empowerment. What has been your experience with those different types of ways that you know young black men and women experience violence and trauma in their communities? Yeah, so hi, my name is Ariella. I work with the Boston Community Action Team with Teen Empowerment. So we focus on voter advocacy and we're gonna be more so talking about politics and gun violence in the community. So we've noticed that a lot of the, the politics in the community kind of perpetuate different stereotypes. So like how the angry black woman is intertwined with the black man who's always involved in different types of gang violence and some of that drama that Sherry and Robert were, were just talking about. And so some of the things that I've noticed specifically with canvassing in the community is just what different paths we see, especially talking about education or students who are homeless in our communities, what just different paths that they've been set on and how that culture kind of just perpetuates different stereotypes about black and brown students and individuals. So not believing that you can pursue a different kind of career or not thinking that you can be involved with certain type of people because of situations that you've experienced in your life. I don't know if I can speak specifically to I guess the gender difference or the different types of violence that black women and black men experience, especially when talking about the movie, but just from the canvassing that I've done, like knocking on doors, trying to get people registered, that's some of the things that I've no noticed. Maybe I can pass it on to Will to see if he can branch off and talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the story definitely, um, goes to goes to highlight how these things sort of happen um and, and sort of the particular roles that um you know both parties play in the in the census violence that that happens in the community um i think just from my personal just point of view um i think uh like for me like as as a black man and and, and somebody that is a part of this community um, like I, I'm always somebody that just has this big feeling of being a target all the time. So, um, and, 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 you know, it, it sucks when, when it feels as though like, um, it is sometimes like my own community, uh, turning against me. And, um, you know, and I think like, you know, especially like the violence, like just, happens towards women, I feel like just like there, there can never be a, a big enough spotlight on it. There can never be a, a big enough, uh, just microphone to the voices, um, that need to be heard about it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just, I just think that, um, how, how those things all 
happen in general um it's very it, it happens in a way that like it, it doesn't get talked about often and and i hope that this film really communicates like in a very authentic way um just how these things can occur yeah, absolutely. And I know, Abigail, uh, you have to, to jump off uh, because there's a lot to do for this conference. Uh, so I want to thank you for, for joining us. Um, and as we sort of, uh, you know, part of what we do here on um, Common Narrative, and I don't know if you'd like to, to wrap up and make any, any other last comments before we have to jump off the, the show. Yeah, just two quick things, I think, to the point that both uh, Ariella and, and, and Wilmington was making and uh, Sherry and Robert, I think there's a couple of ways that like young ladies play a role in this, right? Sometimes they are sort of like residual uh, 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 damage in, in the sense that they are dating young men who are involved in the violence in itself and they end up uh, getting caught up in one way or the other uh, because law enforcement sometimes has no discretion. If a young lady's in the car with a young male and, and their guns and drugs in the car, they seek to charge and turn them against each other as a means of trying to get to the goal that they have, which is to incarcerate someone. So this is the, what, another way that young ladies are being involved. But also like the reason why I use the word cultural violence is because now what we find that again, is different from decades ago, is that there's no real separation of like who's 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 willing to commit violence right whether it's a young lady or a young male the culture is different now you know there was a time when we were growing up you can tell the difference between someone who we quote unquote called a square young man from a like a young man who was involved in the streets now you know because of social media media etc like all our kids dress the same all our kids look the same. This is where the conflict and sort of perception is coming in. And then also you think about the vicarious pieces, but I also wanna lift up and not sort of, uh, I'd be remiss if I don't remiss, mention the level of sexual trafficking and things of that sort that's happening even in the realm of like gangs and, and young ladies who are being you know, told to do certain things, et cetera, et cetera. So that doesn't get highlighted in here, highlighted in here, but at some point as an organization, we also wanna focus on those areas that are really specific to young ladies who are dealing with specific issues that they're being targeted uh, to be a part of. So I just want to thank the team for being on here today. I hope that those who are listening and viewing will support teen empowerment because uh, we need your also financial support. This is also a part of a fundraiser as well because our annual peaceful conference also ties into some level of funding fundraising to support the work we do with young people. We hire young people as employees of the organization for the work that they're doing. So they're not just working in a sense of trying to do something meaningful in the sentiment, but we're also providing financial support, which has been even more critical coming out of the pandemic, given the fact that many of the young people are associated with families that have actually lost jobs. So definitely wanna thank you, Crystal, for, um, having us and I know the team will continue on to do a great job. I'm going to jump off because I have a few other things to take care of and and, and tune in on, on Wednesday, May 26th, Sense of Smoke, promoting peace of the, to the power of people. So appreciate you all and thank you for having me. See you, Ab. You got it. All right. Well, thank you so much. I, I do want to also part of what we what I was trying to say before is that part of what we do here on Common Narrative is to examine what effect the media has on a public perception, civic engagement, um, and how people actually address these particular issues. And I'm curious as to what each of you reflect upon when you watch the news at night, when you see posts on, on social and in other places, what effect does the way that the media covers these violent events have on the way that people perceive the violence in their community? And also, and I'm terrible with compound questions, but I'm gonna do it anyway. On top of that, um, you know, how do you think that that plays into some of the trauma 
that young people walk away with after these events. And, and you know, um, uh, you guys can jump in wherever you feel like you want to say something. All right, Ariella, hit me. Yeah, I can start. So I think that the way the news portrays certain violence that happens in our communities really just creates this in like kind of internalization within the black community, like specifically what Mr. Abergall was talking about. Black women are sexualized at such a young age, which leads us to just join certain environments and be in certain places that allow us to go missing. Like there's like 66,000 black women who just have unsolved cases in the United States as to what their situation is. And I think that that portrayal really starts to like, it's just a really big comparison. Violence that happens in a black community as compared to a suburban or white community is very different. Um, we're not taught to look at the situation as if we are victims of certain violence or certain violence was imposed on us, but rather that we're making active choices to be a part of that violence or like we we have a choice whether or not to be involved in that violence. And I think that it's really because a lot of the people who are portraying and who are a part of this media don't really understand what senseless smoke is, like what it means to be growing up black or as a person of color in a community. Like being again, like homeless and having to go to school to get an education, your parents, like Mr. Abergall was saying, lost their job during the pandemic and you're trying to provide for those for your family. It's that generational wealth and circumstances that we've been put in for a very long time that just create sort of this violence that just isn't properly contextualized in the media. Whereas so when we start to have conversations outside or when we start to have politics or talk about this culture, it's always having to re-explain it again or say, you know, like for you, it might be this situation, but for me, you know, my family has been struggling with this for a while. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that um, sometimes, the, and I appreciate this platform, Crystal, that you're providing because you're giving a different perspective and a voice to um, you know issues of black and brown people, youth and their families. So it's it, this is different, but I think in general, the media tends to show um, black youth, black people as um, the, the problem, you know, like that's how we're portrayed is that, you know, we're in these situations because, you know, we want to be or because, you know, we're, we're perpetuating it or whatever, instead of really looking at what's underneath what you're seeing, you know, uh, in the media. And I think the focus is the wrong thing. I think, you know, it, it the media focus allows people to focus on and look at, okay, these this is happening in these communities. The violence is happening, you know, um, just people not seemingly not caring about their communities is happening because it's these people's problem, it's these people's fault. Um, and I don't think that the media really gets underneath that and looks at the big picture of, of why these things are happening. And that's a problem. That's a problem because I agree with Ariella. I think sometimes as a people, we internalize that. We're seeing this too in the media and we, we internalize it. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that it's less than 3% of the young people 
that are involved in some of these violent acts. And then there's 97% of the young people who are doing some great things in the community and doing some outstanding things in school and in colleges. So it really does make it seem as if, as a people, we are just um, derelicts. And that's, the port, that's what they want to portray as, uh, as black people, as just derelicts and, and not, not worthy of uh, anything other than the, uh, the, the negative treatment of the police. So mm. that, that's what they portray. What do you think would address, would make it, uh, uh, you know, what do you think will actually get to addressing, making sure that these negative stereotypes don't continue to be perpetuated? Is it more representation in the media in terms of people of color of different backgrounds? Is it um, the, basically the viewers, the people who are watching? And I've had this conversation before with my colleagues about, you know, the viewers are a consumer and consumers have power. So is it is it taking that power as a consumer of the media, as news, uh, you know, social media, other platforms, and saying this is what, demanding what you need? What do you think? How do we do better? I guess is my question. I think the statement that we are trying to generate for our summer campaign is promoting peace through the power of the people. We really need to stop allowing our young people to believe that we cannot be successful, that they cannot be successful. Um, we really have to take control and really uh, make a better effort to, you know, and, and let me just speak a little bit about my own personal past. I, I, as a young person, I remember, you know, there was violence and stuff going on, but as a people, when I was growing up, we were extremely close and tight as a people. I, I could walk in any one of my friends' houses. We all knew each other. Every family knew each other. If you did something wrong in the street, an older person would, would step to you and speak to you and pull you by your ear. Those kinds of things were important as a people that we really, when we hear it takes a village, well, a village has been destroyed. We need to regain that village once again. We need to take charge and we really need to believe that we can be the power. We can be and do have the power if we choose to use it. So we have to stop believing in what we see in the, in the media. We have to really take control of our neighborhoods and really be the people that we, we can be. Yeah, and I think that um, you know some of the work that Ariella and the BCAT is doing is really getting out into the community and getting people to be civically engaged, getting people to vote, getting people to understand who um, are the city officials um, you know, the people the in, in within these campaigns that, you know, we they're, they're working for us as a people. And I think that challenges the media when the community is um, aware of what's happening, is aware of the power that we do have. And we as a community can influence, you know, the city officials, the public officials, the media. And I think some of the work, the other work that Tina Palman is doing is actually engaging the community to understand these things so that we can understand our power and we can do the work to really get that message out there that we can influence the media. Like you said, you know, um, if, if we're not going to consume it and we don't stand for the way that we're being portrayed, we have to speak up and we have to do something about that. So these are the kinds of campaigns that we're working on. And I think it's a, it's, you know, a great idea what you're saying. Like may, that's a focus that we need to have because the media has a huge impact and influence on what we're seeing and how we're thinking. 
um, and how what we're internalizing. So yeah, as a community, that's the work we need to do is to understand, okay, we have the power. The media, you know, needs to listen to us. It's like, they only can air what it is we're, 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 we're putting out there. So perhaps we need to do that a lot more to so put out the fact that we have power, that there is influence in the community. Yeah, I think one of the major ways this, this country listens is when you affect it financially. You know, and I think that was one of the strategies they used back in the 60s was when they stopped riding the buses, when they stopped purchasing certain certain um, things in the store. Uh, we are the biggest consumers in the country. Uh, people of color are the huge, largest consumers in the country. If we, again, start to come together as a people and uh, have a plan, you know, if we put together a massive plan that will be effective and hitting them in, in, in spots where it really hurts, and one of them is financially, then they listen, you know, then they sit up and they take take notice. But we really do need to have a plan in place. And one of the things we're trying to do this summer as a summer campaign is we're not just doing this movie and this film and having the, the workshops to follow the next day, but the workshops are really to help us put together a plan. And we're looking at this being a campaign throughout the summer. And one of the thoughts is to have what we're calling soapbox uh, uh, in, engagements in each community where we're inviting people to come out and speak to the neighbors, the, their neighbors in their community about how we can come together and why we should come together. Uh, so these soapboxes will be done throughout the summer, throughout different neighborhoods in the summer where we're gonna invite the youth to come out and speak, uh, parents who have lost children to come out and speak, um, just to, to uh, bring us back together as a community. I can add a little bit on to this. So I think that everyone has different potential to engage the community. So whether it was as Mr. Robert was saying, like, don't consume certain products if you know that it's affecting your community in a bad way. What I do with the Boston Community Action Team is get out into communities such as Roxbury and Dorchester and Canvas. So I ask people questions, you know, are you voting? Why not? Um, there's different ways that you can be civically engaged. And I think that specifically when talking about consumers, consumers want to believe certain stereotypes about people of color. That's why they keep on watching the media. They believe that this is how a person of color should act. Like we see this in so many different environments, especially me being a 16 year old going to school. It's like, you only wanna hang out with certain black people who represent certain stereotypes because that's what you believe a black person is. That's what you believe a person of color is. And different ways that we can challenge those stereotypes and what consumers want is by organizing in this way. Obviously teen empowerment is youth led and that's really, again, pun, but empowering for people. But it's also the coalition that we see between adults and youth, how we are coming together to kind of rebuild that community that Mr. Robert was talking about and make sure that we're all supporting each other in different ways. Although we have social media today, there's a big disconnect with what's happening in the community. If one youth goes out and commits a certain act of violence that might not be impacting our community in a great way, it's 
it's not as common for another person to really encourage them not to do it in that way. Obviously, we're seeing it rise a little bit with groups such as teen empowerment, but I think that we could be utilizing social media in a way that we're reaching out to youth and making sure that we're building common coalitions like this. We need more organizations where, you know, adults are passing down the torch to youth and saying, you know, this is how I want to hear what you have to say about this, such as like the the yak, um, but also, you know, this is what was happening back in my day. And this is how maybe we could work together to make sure that our community is portrayed in a good way. Yeah, um, and I just wanted to add on to what everybody's been saying so far. I think like the ultimate goal uh, needs to be, and has to start and end with uh, really just changing the narrative. Um, I think uh, Tina Palmin gives uh, young people the opportunity and the platform to 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 not only tell their own stories but to provide uh, action steps on changing the narrative. I think like you know sort of what Abigail was saying earlier, um, how the culture has changed and now um, you know it's almost as if like you know we we solve problems with violence you know as opposed to like things just escalating to a point of violence. Um, and I think the media in particular. Uh, just to answer your first question, I think has has perpetuated that and reinforced that culture change um, to just occur over the years. Um, and I think like um, how we're portrayed is almost it is to a point of senselessness. And I think like you know that's something that the the film really tries to iterate. Like um, you know uh, how we're viewed. Um, I think everyone, I believe everyone in the in the script um, at some point. Uh, like comments on that, how they how they feel they're being perceived. Um, and I think uh, that's just important to, to articulate that, you know, uh, our communities are affected by these, by, by the media, you know, um, unfortunately. And I think um, ultimately why we, we have to see the narrative, we have to see the common narrative uh, of um, our experiences and, and, and hopefully find enough similarities to really establish just a new common narrative one that we all can um progress in um collectively yeah, yeah and sorry not to cut you off i just want to say you know let's talk about approaches here because i know a lot of this conference talks a lot about and building approaches uh, things that are successful and i know you know the um Nationally, sometimes that approach in certain communities is law enforcement led, uh, community based policing. And we've all heard of all of these things. But that has come at a certain amount of criticism, especially in this last year of racial reckoning, as we have watched these events unfold, that that may not be the most successful way to get at this particular issue. And then Boston has has taken an approach um, through their health department and engaging you all, nonprofits and things like that. What's the best approach to get at this if you want to bring in the resources of a city and, and of a community like Boston? Yeah, I think it's it's um, a community approach. So um, like Ariella was saying, it's important at Teen Empowerment that we do bring in the voices of young people we bring in the voices of the young people's families, their parents, the neighbors, and really trying to engage the people, you know? And that's why the campaign is called Promoting Peace Through the Power of the People. And at Teen Empowerment, we really try to do that with every initiative that we do. It's really pulling in 
the parents, is pulling in the young people themselves. Um, you know, if need be, pulling in elected officials to to talk to them about what the community's asks are. You know, and holding them accountable. It's not necessarily, um, you know, like hoping and waiting for other people to kind of like um, come in and and save us. It's really us as a community working together, understanding what the issues are, um, how we can resolve those issues and working together to do that. I think that's that's been our approach. It's a community approach. And it's one where we open up the, the floor for the voices of the community and for us to be able to solve things together as a community. Um, and it's been, it's been pretty successful. I, I think about um, some of the events that we've done and people have felt like um, it's not safe to like bring these people together, you know, from these different communities as if we're not capable as a community to be together in the same space. Um, and so we try to, disband that narrative about ourselves as a community and move forward to bring ourselves to bring us together so that because we have to we have to re um redefine what the narrative of our community is nobody else is going to do that they're going to continue to perpetuate that narrative but as an organization we try to flip that and say no this is the narrative but we're not we're not accepting that we're going to bring people together because we know that it's possible. And so I think that that's a, a huge um, strategy that's very important is to not, you know, um, not believe those stereotypes and those narratives and not be fearful to, um, to engage each other because I think there's a lot of fear in there. And so people don't do it because they're like, oh, you know, this is not gonna be safe um, and people are afraid. But I think as an organization, we understand that that there's power in that and it's possible. Yeah, I think that's one half of the uh, the battle is to, you know, make people believe and understand that that is possible. We have done it and we can continue to do that, continue to bring people together because we as a people are able to do it and we've shown that. But I think the next step is not only just to come together. Now let's come together and do something that's that's going to be life changing, life saving. And that's why we're really pushing this uh, campaign this summer. We want to now bring people together to come together for a common cause. And that cause is to really reduce violence in our streets. And I think as, as, as most people, when you see something that's done and it's successful, then you have a real opportunity to start to believe. You really begin to believe that we are, we are capable of doing this. So that's why it's important this summer that we have this campaign, that we bring these communities together, that we have these soapboxes and people are, are enjoying themselves, but we also want to make it as a plan, a plan of action so that we can show that we as a people can come together and there is power in us coming together to stop the violence in our neighborhoods. You know, one of the ways that most uh, organizations, when they set up and they want to build the best security alarm that they could possibly build, who is it that they seek to build those security alarms? The people who are breaking into places, the criminals <laughs> who are, you know, and so for us, we, we realize that in order for us to put some programs together, in order for us to have these uh, CBOs or these community-based organizations in, in the nonprofits to really um, provide the right uh, necessary things in the organizations to help these people, 
we need to go to the ones who are involved in the violence to figure out from them what are your needs that will help turn you from some of these violent ways. So we started an organ we started a council, a youth council called the uh, Impact Youth Council (IYC), and this IYC was designed to hire and pay young people who are currently incarcerated and or in the streets to sit on this council and to give us the insight that we need to understand their needs and then letting us take those needs that they talk about and and then you know turn it over to these uh community-based organizations that are working with young people so the iyc is a, is a pro 10-week program we're hiring uh, young men and women who are involved in, in crime or, or violence or are incarcerated. We've gone into some of the uh, institutions uh, uh, to talk with them, to allow these young people to go on uh, a virtual uh, council um, once a week and really give them an opportunity to, to, be on, to be on this council without showing their face on the screen or without putting their name up. But we just want to hear their voice uh, in terms of giving us the, the information that would be helpful for us to put programs together or to put uh, needs together that, that will help them to uh, find alternative ways of living their life. So that's that's an important piece is to get it from, from, from the mouth of the young people as to what they need rather than us thinking of what could be best for them. So, you know. Right. Uh, but my other question is, is what role does law enforcement play in all of this? How do you loop them in a way where people feel safe? That's a good question. You know, I think one of the um, the uh, long-standing questions is how do we get? It's not just about how we get them involved, but how do we change their mindset on how to respond and react and to integrate themselves into the into the communities of color? Because I think they they also have that negative mind frame, the mi negative mindset that you know people of color are, are are less than. So you know, in order to involve them. There's got to be some training. There's got to be some really uh, chosen uh, specific ways of helping them to understand how to uh, work in, in the communities of color and, and to be um, understanding of what we're trying to do as a movement and, and as a people. So I think there's a lot of work that has to be done there because the trust has completely uh, been gone with uh, trying to depend on the people we pay to protect us. Uh, that trust is not there. So we have that has to be regained and rebuilt. Yeah, I think systemically there needs to be work, work done in the um, police departments, um, you know, and, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of work done with police and community. We've done work um, with the police. Um, and I think that some of it is valuable, is very valuable, but I think structurally, that system needs to be revamped. And I think once we do that, then it would be more effective when communities um, and organizations are engaging with the police. But if structurally things are um, not sound and they are, you know, don't represent justice um, in the right way, then I'm not so sure that you know, it's going to be as effective if we're working directly with police in the communities. It's a system that needs to be dismantled and, and rebuilt. Yeah, I think even and when they start to hire police, even from that from the beginning, 
it should be similar to what you have to do to, to sit on on uh, to be a uh, on a panel of in a jury. You know, there should be a certain amount of questions. People should be vetted um, to make sure that their mind frame is in the right place before they become even in, entered into the police academy. So I, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done. It's similar to the school systems. You know, we're working in a school system that was created three or four hundred years ago, and we're still basically running the same system. Here we are 300 years later. Uh, the school systems haven't changed in a, in a really long time. And so that there's, you know, similarly with the school systems, uh, similarly with the, the police departments, similarly with uh, just um, the the uh, economic system itself, is is it all needs to be revamped. It really needs, there needs to be a, a whole uh, change in the system. Ariel and Willington, I want you to jump in, jump into, uh, you know, as the young folks here, what would, what do you think will get through to your age group? Uh, you know, is it, it, it will law enforcement, is law enforcement, in, uh, you know, an aversion? Like when they do these community events and things like that, I know that T Teen Empowerment has, you know, worked with um, the city on many different, uh, different ways, you know, different departments on this kind of work with young people. What actually reaches you and what makes you feel safe? Well, first, um, to jump off what Miss Sherry was saying earlier, your legislature is supposed to serve you. So I think we need to make sure, especially youth, you can always be involved in making sure that your legislature reflects you and the values that you want to preserve in your community. Having people who look like us and who represent the same values as us can really change certain cycles and certain stereotypes that are being perpetuated in our communities. I think that something that would reach me is just a different integration of inter information in the school system. A lot of um, like counselors and teachers, they're not able to really understand where youth are coming from or their personal experiences within their community, which sometimes makes it harder for them to learn or for them to be educated. I think like what speaks to certain youth in our communities is different than what speaks to certain youth in other communities and just making sure that we're culturally competent is a really good way to change some of the cycles that are happening in our community. Like civic engagement, that needs to be integrated at such a younger age. Things when we're talking about like senseless smoke, certain violence that's happening in our communities, this needs to be talked about at a young age, not only in black and brown communities, but in white communities as well, because they need to understand how they're a part of the problem and how they're perpetuating certain stereotypes, which make uh, youth in the communities just internalize a racism or internalize certain stereotypes about themselves. Like a lot of youth feel like they're not valued or they're not worthy because of how the media has portrayed them and because of certain consumerism that happens. Like, we want you to look this way or this is how black women should be framed. Like so many uh, black women are just viewed from a young age as like being older or more sexually active because of those different stereotypes that are happening. And if we were taught that, at a young age rather than some of the false history that we've been taught from this, as Mr. Robert was saying, 300 year old system that we're still being educated by. I think that that would change a lot. I know that we don't have um, a lot more time to talk about this, so I'll pass it on to Will. Yeah, um, and I think like, uh, just for speaking for myself, just as a black man, like, you know, uh, I think like awareness is probably like the biggest thing just for 
for both parties, all parties. Um, I think uh, just acknowledging the fact that like I've been conditioned to be, have a certain mindset when it comes to law enforcement. Um, and I think, you know, uh, you know, law enforcement has probably be, been conditioned to have a certain mindset about um, just people, people like me. Um, and I think uh, just sort of having that conversation uh, about um, sort of the history, um, the history that 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 comes from that mindset and realizing, um, you know, consciously always making the effort to um want to work towards it you know and, and being aware that we're working towards it together um i think is a major key and i think like um yeah um how we reach a certain point uh, uh of just uh you know commonality i think um you know i think we have to just start thinking of just new and, and more innovative ways um more creative ways um i think those ways that that can happen and that needs to happen um you know because you know it, it, it gets uncomfortable you know if, if i gotta sit there and like you know just sit across a a, a a room full of full of um full of people in uniform like like it, you know i i still have um moments where I, I i get uncomfortable you know even even if you know i feel like i've done nothing wrong um like you know even though i haven't done anything wrong like you know what i'm saying so like um but just that simple, like, but again, it's acknowledging that, like, again, I've been conditioned to have a certain mindset. Um, and I think uh, just acknowledging that, that, that everyone has been conditioned to think a certain way and that we all have to, we all have things we have to unlearn in order to learn something new um, or, or, or to see the possibilities of, of there being uh, a, a justice system that we all can get behind. Um, but yeah, I think just it, there's a certain le a level of awareness that has to come with it and um, effort. So. Yeah, and I know I, you know, we just we have a couple more minutes in the show, so I want to make sure that we get to some of the key points here. And I know Ariella wanted to add some more things, and then let's talk about the workshops. And you know, because we always like to leave folks with action items. That's part of what we do, and that's how we we create change. So Ariella, I'm going to have you uh, jump in here next, and. Um, as we wrap up, why don't you guys give us some closing thoughts and some some call to actions? You know, that's what we want to do here. Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to know about law enforcement is that people of color are conditioned to always fit into white communities. Like we're taught how to code switch and how to make a lot of white people comfortable, especially people who obviously people who are officers can come in all different colors, but we're conditioned to act a certain way in certain environments that I think police officers aren't conditioned to act in black communities, which is why there's so much disconnect and why we can't find a common ground with a lot of people who are enforcing the law in our communities because they haven't been taught to be around us. I think that they should be in a lot of more community organizing groups or just political sessions that we have in our community so they can understand how they can navigate themselves in our communities in a way that's not violent in the same way that we have to figure out how to navigate ourselves in some harmful environments in a way that we don't have to offend anyone or make anyone uncomfortable. My group, so the Boston Community Action Team, we are going to be presenting a politics and gun violence workshop, which talks about certain um, 
legislature and political members in our community what their stances on gun violence are and what their experience has been in it and how they want to change it in the future. And then giving some extra information such as infographics on how to get in contact with those people as our elections come up. So just making sure that we're asking questions, making sure that our legislature is really reflecting our values in our community is a great way that we can start to break the cycles in our communities. Yep, and we also have three other, four other workshops. Yeah, so we don't want people to forget that the Peace Conference is May 26th, is the movie, May 27th are the action workshops. So BCAT will be doing one. We have um, the Youth Homelessness and Trauma Responses Program that is talking about youth homelessness. There's workshops that where people can actually take action. They can get the information and take action to join this movement of, um, you know, ending sense of smoke and actually holding each other and others accountable for changing our community. So please attend the movie and please be there for the workshops so we can put together a action plan for the summer. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for another edition of Common Narrative. Abrigal Forrester, Executive Director of Team Empowerment, joins us for the first half of the show. Willington Valletto, a youth organizer. Sherry and Robert Bridgman, also part of the, the, the team, and they put together the Senseless Smoke um, movie and video. And of course, uh, Ariella Taylor, all part of this, org this organization, this group, the, the folks who are creating this peace conference. The peace conference, again, is Wednesday and Thursday. There's going to be information on our website, all our social media platforms so that you all can register. And I do highly recommend that you register 5.30 to 7.30 on both of those days. Extremely important information. Be a part of this movement. You, our social media handles, commonnarrative.media, that's our website, Twitter at Narrative Common, Facebook and Instagram at Common Narrative Media, and of course, Spark FM online here. And if you miss the video part of the show or any part of this video piece of the show, we are also on your Apple and Spotify as podcasts. So you can re-listen to the show and I highly do recommend that. So for now, I'm Crystal Haynes for Common Narrative on Spark FM. And remember, knowledge is power and power is change. We will see you next time.